0: Well, good evening, and uh, welcome. welcome to Bible Study. We're going to complete uh, our study of Jeremiah chapter 17. And, uh, this uh, chapter finishes uh, with a public sermon, and uh, the focus uh, is on uh, the Sabbath. Now, to get you engaged with uh, the central theme of the text, I want to do something a little bit different. I have some survey questions for you on the outline, so it's not a pop quiz, so there isn't right or wrong answers per se, uh, but rather okay, it reveals uh, how you are thinking. And I want you to consider the same questions when you go home tonight after the lesson, and see if any changes are necessary after we consider God's word. So please look. There's there's ten questions, and how I've structured it, you will notice as a scale uh, from one to ten. Okay, one being highly improbable or strongly disagree. And 10, being highly probable or strongly agree. So, number one, is a day of rest in the week important for the Christian? Number two, is a Christian still bound to the Sabbath law? Number three, is Sunday the new Sabbath day? Four, would you ever work on Sunday? Five, would you ever work consistently on a Sunday, i.e. more than 50% of the time? Okay, there is, a, there, is, there is a difference there, I think. Number six, would you do the washing, mow the lawn or wash the car on a Sunday? My dear grandmother once, she she really gave me a really hard time because so I hung clothes out on a Sunday. And she, kind of, she listened to me preach and she came come to my house for lunch and she's like, You preach this morning. And you hung the clothes out. You shouldn't do that on a Sunday. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's the first time it hasn't rained for about two weeks. Lismore's really bad for raining constantly. Number seven, would you play sports on a Sunday? Number eight, is there a danger of being legalistic, turning it into a burden of human regulations when it comes to the Sabbath or Lord's Day? Number nine, is the Sabbath or Lord's Day for man's benefit? And number 10, is Sabbath rest fulfilled? In Christ. So there are ten questions that I hope will get you thinking uh, about the subject matter of the text. I'll give you a a little bit of time to do that, and, uh, and then we'll read read the text. I wasn't sure, Pastor Christie. You missed that on the survey. (laughs) I'll email it to you when I get home so you don't miss it. (laughs) You'll know all the answers anyway, Pastor Christie. doesn't make any sense to you that's okay as well okay so I trust those survey questions got you thinking uh, about uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight and they prove uh, to be helpful and engaging uh, your mind with the text okay so our text is Jeremiah 17 from verse 19 down uh, to 27 I'd like to read uh, that now so Jeremiah chapter 17 reading from verse 19 Thus said the Lord unto me, Go and stand in the gate of the children of the people, whereby the kings of Judah come in, and by the which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem. And say unto them, Hear ye the word of the Lord, ye kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that enter in by these gates. Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, neither do ye any work, but hallow ye the Sabbath day, as I commanded your fathers. For they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall come to pass, if ye diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day, to do no work therein. Then shall they enter... Into the gates of this city, kings and princes, sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah, from the places about Jerusalem, and from the land of Benjamin, and from the plain, and from the mountains, and from the south, bringing burnt offerings, and sacrifices, and meat offerings, and incense, and bringing sacrifices of praise unto the house of the Lord. But if ye will not hearken unto me to hallow the Sabbath day, and not to bear a burden, even entering in at the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then will I kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night you've given to us, and thank you that we can spend some time now in your word. And Father, I ask uh, that, that you would help uh, me uh, explain uh, the word truthfully and accurately and clearly. And I ask that the Holy Spirit uh, would help us to, to understand uh, the portion of Scripture. And uh, please help us uh, to apply it uh, in an appropriate way as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You now, in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve a very simple probation test. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And their response to this one command was representative of their whole attitude and submission toward God. This was a visible, tangible and straightforward assessment of their commitment to the Lord. And this is a helpful illustration to enable us to comprehend this sermon about Sabbath observance. We need to keep in mind that this is not the case, that this is more important than any other command. Nor does it mean that every other command is irrelevant. But rather this functioned as an obvious and outward assessment of their overall commitment to the Lord. This was a key indicator of covenantal faithfulness or a lack thereof. And if this was followed, okay, if one obeyed the Sabbath commands, it would inevitably lead to faithfulness in other areas of life, because it reveals that one is taking God and his commands seriously. Okay, so with that important point in mind, let's unpack Jeremiah's sermon on what on the Sabbath test. Okay, that's what it Called our study, the Sabbath Test. And we're going to endeavor to understand the message in its historical context before arriving at its present significance. And I want to consider the Prophet's sermon under four headings. Okay, the source and scene of the sermon, the subject of the sermon, the setting of the sermon, and the structure and substance of the sermon. Okay, so there's the roadmap. So let's begin our journey through the Sabbath test sermon. So firstly, the source and scene of the sermon. Jeremiah's sermon had divine origin. This was not something that he invented. It wasn't dreamt up in the sleepy village of Anathoth, but this was revelation from the Lord. Both the command to preach and the content of the preaching come from above. Notice in verse 19, Thus saith the Lord, Unto me. So Jeremiah received word from God that he was to go and stand in the gates and preach to the people. Now, the question is, what gate? And it's very difficult to determine the answer to that question. Um, it, it's evident that this location was a prominent one with a high flow of traffic. It mentions that. The people and the kings would go in and out. So this seems to be a main entrance. But wherever it may be, we know that there would be quite a crowd. And remember that a lot of business transactions and legal transactions were made at the different gates. So this would be like today being asked to preach at the local shopping center or a large markets or at a sporting event where there would be large gathered crowds. But notice also at the end of verse 19, he was to speak at all the gates of Jerusalem. So he was to have like an itinerant preaching ministry. And the goal being for as many people as possible to hear the message. So God commanded Jeremiah to preach and also where to preach. But he also gave Jeremiah the content of the preaching. Verse 20 says, hear ye the word of the Lord. So, this is a clear declaration that what was about to be said was from above. Okay, and this was a word for everybody. Verse 20 continues, Ye kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So, all men and women and children, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a ruler or a slave, needed to listen up. This was a word from God for everybody. Okay, verse 21 makes the same point. It says, thus saith the Lord. Okay, this was a divine word. It was not Jeremiah's personal thoughts or opinions. This was direct from God. Okay, so here we have Jeremiah acting as God's mouthpiece. He's the instrument that the Lord uses to communicate his message. And the people ought to have listened because this had divine authority behind it, which is the ultimate Authority. And there's a word here for both those who preach and for those who listen to preaching. So that's all of us. For those of us who preach, we don't receive new or extra revelation from God. The canon of scripture is closed. But we need to be faithful in communicating God's word. And we do that by being faithful to the text of scripture. Okay, the people of God don't need more opinions and ideologies from man. Okay, We're stuffed full of that already. But rather, what God's people need, they need to hear from God. That's the task of the preacher. He does this by faithfully expounding and presenting God's message. Okay, but for those listening to preaching, okay, understand this point. When the man of God faithfully preaches the word of God... It's God speaking through the preacher, and it's this that gives preaching its authority. God has ordained the foolishness of preaching as the primary means of communicating his truth. And hence, when a preacher is faithful to the text, in a very real sense, God is speaking, not man. And that ought to change how we regard, respect, and respond to preaching. So the sermon that Jeremiah preached had come from God, it possessed divine authority, but what was he to preach? Okay, this is the second point, the subject of the sermon. Now all good sermons need a central focus or a central point. Okay, this is an indispensable ingredient and Jeremiah's main point was observing the Sabbath. Okay, verse 21 says, Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day. Verse 22, But hallow ye the Sabbath day. Verse 24, Bring ye no burden through the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day. So the subject of this sermon is very clear. It's a challenge to observe the Sabbath. Now we need to pause and endeavor to develop a biblical understanding. Of the Sabbath for those who were hearing the sermon. So we're not predominantly focusing on the place of the Sabbath in our life, although I will briefly address that point. But to correctly understand this portion of Scripture, it's more important for us to grasp the Sabbath from the perspective of those who are hearing this sermon. So the Sabbath in the Old Testament, it was all about rest. Okay, the word actually means cessation or intermission. And the idea is that God's people were to take one day a week to rest. Okay, on this day that they would worship, Okay, but they were to only work for six days. And according to scholars, this was a uniquely Israelite phenomena. The other nations, they all work seven days a week. Okay, a rest day interrupting the work cycle. This was a foreign concept. Now Israel had this unique structure because the Lord had given it to them. So the Sabbath finds its origin in God, not man. This was not something that the people of Israel invented. This wasn't Moses and Aaron okay, walking through the wilderness and thinking, hey, if we gave the people a day off, that okay, they will love us. Okay, it's not just a political power play, but rather this was God's plan. And it followed the pattern established in the creation week. Have you ever thought about that? The world was created in 6 days, God rested the 7th. Why? Okay, God doesn't get tired. Okay, God doesn't suffer from fatigue and get worn out like us, but rather he did this to establish a pattern. And this is referenced in the 10 commandments, which is the main text when it comes to the Sabbath. Okay, Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 to 11. I have the portion of Scripture in your outline. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay, so this is the fourth commandment. Okay, a couple of observations that I'd like to make. This is about rest. Work six days, rest on the seventh. Notice it's called the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, which reveals that, that this is a day to be used to focus on the Lord. Another point, that this was for everybody One's children, one's servants, and even the animals were to be given a break. And this command is unique in that it goes all the way back to creation for its justification. Now the second recording of the Ten Commandments is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And the fourth command is found from verse 12 to 15. And Here it says, keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it. As the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of the cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant, thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. And that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, So this is very similar to Exodus chapter 20, but there's one noticeable difference. Okay, on the Sabbath day, they were to recall their redemption from Egypt. Okay, And think about it. The Sabbath is a very vivid illustration and reminder because in Egypt... They were slaves, so they couldn't just stop work for a day. But since the Lord had miraculously saved them, they now enjoyed the liberty of rest. Another important text in understanding the Sabbath is found in Exodus 31. Verses 12 to 18 are all about the Sabbath. Here we learn it was actually a capital offense to break the Sabbath. So this gives us an idea of how important this was to God. And we also see that it was the sign of the covenant. And this is a vital point. Verses 16 and 17 says, Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. So like circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, the Sabbath was the sign of the Mosaic covenant. And it was a weekly reminder of the covenantal agreements that they had made. And it was a practical sign of Israel's commitment to honor God and keep the covenant. Another text that helps us to understand a slightly different aspect of the Sabbath is Leviticus 25. And it actually addresses the Sabbath year. So the ground was to be rested once every seven years. It's very interesting. My, uh, my grandparents are sugarcane farmers, and they still practice this same principle. Okay? Every seven years, okay, a cane farmer will rest uh, their, their field. They do it a little bit differently these days as a way to make money out of it, which farmers love to make money, so that's what they do. But it's basically this same principle. Now, in Leviticus 25, it also talks about the year of Jubilee. And although this is not the same as the weekly Sabbath, they're inherently related. We could say they're siblings. And this whole chapter stresses that mercy and kindness is to be extended. It's about the ministry of care, doing good for others. And this is part of the Sabbath. And this is why Jesus got so angry at the Pharisees when they attacked him for healing on the Sabbath. Because they missed this essential element. In the next text that I want to consider is one such occasion where Jesus and the Pharisees had a run-in about the Sabbath. Okay, Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28 says this, And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Okay, so Jesus, on a number of occasions, attacked the Pharisees on this topic of the Sabbath. Now we need to understand, Jesus was not condemning the practice of keeping the Sabbath, but rather endeavouring to, to dig out all of the legalistic sediments that had been wrongly applied to the Sabbath. Okay, it had become this, this burdensome thing that, that they were trying to determine okay, what, what they had to do, and then things they, they could get away with doing, and the people had become enslaved to the Sabbath. And Jesus makes this striking claim, the Sabbath is for man, okay, not the other way around. And this means that God has given it for man's good. Okay, like all of God's commandments, they're actually a gift of His grace. That They're not a burden to bear, they're for our goods. And hence that the Sabbath was not some okay, duty kept out of drudgery toward God. It wasn't to be a chore or a burden but a gift from God. Exodus 16, 29 says, The Lord hath given you the Sabbath. It was given for their benefit and blessing. So here here are some key summary points about the Sabbath. It was unique to Israel. It was all about rest, which followed the creation pattern. It was to remind them of creation and their redemption from Egypt. This was a day of worship. It was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. It was protected by the death penalty, and it was a gracious gift, not a crushing burden. And as the people obeyed God and kept the Sabbath, this had many benefits. Obviously, rest is important. It was a weekly reminder that God was the creator and the redeemer Okay, there was worship involved. It was a vivid reminder that there's more to life than work and economics. I think we need to be reminded of that today. It was a picture of kindness and compassion because even slaves and animals got to have a rest. It caused one to trust God because they had to work okay, one less day. It reminded the people of their covenantal agreement. And the necessity to remain committed to God. And it also formed a powerful witness to the surrounding nations. So there's a brief description of how the Sabbath was intended to function for the people in the time of Jeremiah. So this is what he meant as he addressed the Sabbath as the subject of his sermon. So with the subject determined, let's consider thirdly the setting of the sermon. Now, I don't want to say much on this point, and yet I believe it's a worthy question. Why is this sermon included at this point? Okay, well, why is it found here at the end of chapter 17? Okay, We've discovered throughout our study that Jeremiah is not arranged chronologically. So, so this is not included here because this is where it fits in the timeline. So why is it placed here? I think there are two connections to what precedes it, which establishes the rationale of its inclusion at this point. The first connection is about trusting man or trusting God. Okay, this was addressed in verses 5 to 8. And there we saw that the folly of trusting in man compared to trusting in God. And one's Sabbath observance was an indicator of what category one fitted into Because if one didn't work for seven days, it forced them to trust God rather than man. But if one worked seven days rather than six in order to get ahead in business, it's clear they were trusting in man. So when one ignored the Sabbath, they were no doubt being self-sufficient and self-dependent and not relying on the Lord. And the second connection is the attack on Jeremiah. Okay, last week we considered how the people were incredibly hostile toward Jeremiah and they were rejecting his ministry. And one of their chief objections is that, okay, what he's preaching, it's not coming true. He's talking about judgment, 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 and yet it it hasn't happened. So here the Lord has Jeremiah preach a message rooted in prior revelation. Okay, this is not new revelation, and even this is rejected. So this is all about establishing the people's guilt and removing all potential excuses. They couldn't say, well, how are we to know that all of this judgment would come true? We assumed he was a false teacher because what he was saying, it just wasn't coming true. He'd been talking about this for years and years and years. But that excuse is deflated because they rejected existing revelation. They ignored what they already knew. And this reveals the real issue, which was their wicked hearts. So this is how this sermon fits into the puzzle of this 17th chapter. So understanding its subject and how it fits into the chapter, let's now consider the structure and substance of the sermon. The structure of this sermon is quite simple. It begins with an introduction in verse 20. Then the central theme is found in verses 21 to 23 and it contains an illustration of his main point, and the main point is then followed up by two promises. Verses twenty four to twenty six is an incentive; it's a promise of blessing for those who obey. Okay, so that's like uh, in verse eight. Okay, they will be the healthy and fruitful tree planted by the waters, and then the sermon finishes with a second promise, and that's the one of judgment for those who are disobedient, and they will be like the withered tree in verse 6. Okay, So there's a, there's a basic structure, or, or there's Jeremiah's outline of the sermon. And the substance is all about the Sabbath as we have established. And it's evident that the people were neglecting the Sabbath. It had just become another day of the week for them, that they were doing their own thing. And this was an accurate indicator of the spiritual temperature and the spiritual condition of the society. Okay, When the Sabbath was ignored, when it was neglected, this was a clear evidence that they were ignoring and neglecting the Lord. And hence Jeremiah challenges them to repent and start obeying, okay, start honoring, start respecting the Sabbath, you know, guys, you need to stop working. Put the tools down. Stop arranging business deals. Okay, verse 21, stop bearing burdens. Stop carrying things. Stop bringing in produce. Stop trying to sell things. Okay, stop working. Okay, and in verse 22, start hallowing the Sabbath. Respect it just as God had commanded them. Okay, they needed to stop. Being like the previous generations who had refused to listen to the Lord. That's verse 23. They desperately needed to hearken to the Lord's instructions. Because if they did, there would be many benefits. There would be many blessings if they obeyed. Obedience would lead to blessing. That's a universal principle in God's economy. They would stop work and allow the Sabbath to function as God intends. That's verse 24. Different blessings were promised in verses 25 and 26. And we could summarize these blessings as political stability. Okay, the throne of David would be occupied. Sacrifices would continue to be offered. The city would thrive. Okay, so here are all the blessings. But if they disobeyed, okay, this is the other side of the coin, then they would be judged. And this is in harmony with the covenant. And remember, the Sabbath was the sign of the covenant. And verse 27 reveals what would happen if they failed to obey. The gates of the city would be burnt and they would be devoured. Their judgment would be unleashed as per the covenant agreement. Okay, so again, they have an opportunity to ensure that the divine wrath is not unleashed on them. Okay, and what this establishes is that the judgment that did end up falling on them, it was their fault. That they had rejected again and again and again the call to repentance. And this is yet another opportunity. And hence when judgments came, there could be no doubt about who's to blame. If they committed to following the Sabbath, they would not have been destroyed by the Babylonians. But perhaps there's a question in your mind. How can simply observing the Sabbath spare God's judgment? What about all the other laws? Now, it would be a mistake to think that they could disobey every other law as long as they keep this one. Okay, this is not the message of the text, it's not saying. Who cares about any of the other Ten Commandments as long as you keep this one? But rather, the one who was obeying the Sabbath. This revealed a willingness and a desire to obey God in every area of life. This is a representative test of overall covenantal faithfulness. It functioned as an obvious and outward assessment of their overall commitment to the Lord. And if this was followed, it would inevitably lead to faithfulness in other areas of life because it reveals that one is taking God and his commandments seriously. So this is the sermon that Jeremiah preached to his people. But how does this apply to us? It's very important for us to remember that we're not Israel. We're not Israel with a church distinct we're not under the old covenant okay we're under the new covenant so there's going to be some discontinuity not everything will apply to us in the same way but likewise we make a mistake if we think that there is complete discontinuity and that there is nothing there for us okay so with that in mind Let's draw out some application. But before I get to particular points, the obvious question is this. Are we as Christians bound to the Sabbath? Should we be following all of the Sabbath laws? Okay, is it exactly the same for us except we do it on Sunday? Okay, How do we answer this? Okay, I want to give you a very brief answer. I okay, understand whole books are written on this, so I hope my summary has done it justice. And I believe I've got this uh, in your outline. As Christians, under the new covenant, we're not bound by the Sabbath. Sunday is not a new Sabbath, but rather Jesus Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath. Rest was a key component of the Sabbath, and we find our rest in Christ. Hebrews 4, verses 9 to 11, teach us that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath the purpose and plan of the Sabbath. He is our rest. And in the new covenant, we're not bound to observe a Sabbath day. A vital point is that nine of the 10 commandments are repeated in the New Testament, but one is not. And that's the Sabbath command, further proving this is not for us. And furthermore, remember that the Sabbath is a sign of the Mosaic covenant, and we're not under that covenant. If we want to practice the sign, why don't we practice circumcision, which was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Furthermore, Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. It includes Sabbath days. We're not bound to it because it was a shadow of things to come and Christ has come so we're not bound to the sabbath nor is sunday our day of worship the new sabbath so we don't just transfer everything from the old testament which was on a saturday and change it to sunday because our rest is in christ so so there is a discontinuity but we make a huge mistake if we believe there's nothing for us to take from the sabbath and hence I want to leave you with some suggestions. The first one is this, the necessity of rest. Okay, Although we're not bound by the Sabbath, a day of rest is something that we all need. And that follows the creation pattern. Understand, God has designed us to need rest. Okay, and hence, this needs to be built into our lives. Rest and recreation are not sinful. In fact, they are a necessity. Okay, you need at least one day a week where you don't work or study. Okay, you, we need to have a break because we're all like a battery. Okay, we need recharging. Okay, we need weekly rest. Now I wonder, do you have healthy rest habits in your life? If not, why not? You know, often it's because we're workaholics. If we're going to be completely honest, work can become an idol in our life. Then it could be we are susceptible to subtle forms of pride. Nothing will get done without me. I don't have the time to stop and so forth. It can also have legalistic motivations. I need to do this in order to ensure my acceptance with God. And I do wonder how, how much of burnout could be prevented if we rested like we ought to. You know, like a car that needs regular servicing and maintenance, we need regular rest or we will not wear well. Okay, it's God's designed for your life and for mine that we have a day of rest each, each week. Okay, and this will help us dramatically in every sphere of life. The second thing is the necessity of worship and time with God. Now, for the Christian, we should worship God every day. But we should set apart time for corporate worship. And although I personally don't believe that Sunday is the Sabbath, I'm not a Sabbatarian, the Bible does command us to to go to church to worship and serve God together. That's a non-negotiable. And if church isn't a priority... Put it bluntly, we're in sin. We need to understand that. And although I don't want to get legalistic, I don't want to push things that I shouldn't, hence this is more of a suggestion, it certainly wouldn't hurt us to stop doing some things on Sunday if it helps us to focus on the Lord. Okay, to make it the Lord's day. Okay, make it more than a church service. Devote the whole day to... To him entirely you know that's one of the reasons that we have two church services on a sunday okay but on sunday this would be an opportune time in our very busy schedules okay most of us are incredibly busy okay take some time out and and spend time with the lord okay pray more on a sunday read the bible more on sunday memorize scripture read that christian book on sunday meditate on the sermons for an extended period Have a rest Sunday afternoon. Enjoy your family and so forth. And although I want to be careful that I'm not pushing this as a biblical command, it certainly wouldn't hurt us to think of some of these things and perhaps be more deliberate and purposeful in how we use the Lord's day. Number three, the observance of the Lord's day is a gauge of individuals and societies spirituality. You know I've advocated that I don't believe that the Lord's day is the new Sabbath but here's a point of continuity. Sabbath observance said much about one's commitment to God and the spiritual condition of society and one's attitude toward church okay, and the Lord's day act as a similar gauge of spiritual temperature. okay think about our country. It wasn't all that long ago that Sunday was very different. Few shops were open, not much sport was played. It wasn't all that long ago that international cricket would actually pause the game midway through and not play on Sunday. And yet, as our nation has drifted from God, look at how Sunday has changed. Sport is everywhere. Most shops are open and there isn't much difference to any other day of the week. Okay, this says much about our society. But for the Christian, okay, that there is something greatly inconsistent with the one who professes love for Jesus and yet has nothing or little to do with the church. Okay, that's a terribly inconsistent claim. Because understand, Jesus loves the church, Jesus died for the church, and Jesus is building the church. And hence to say that you love Jesus but not attend and are not involved in the local church, that's a really bizarre claim. And it's one that goes against the entire New Testament. We need to be in church. We need to be involved in the church. We need to meet face to face. We need to sit under preaching. We need to partake in the Lord's table. We need to have people ministering to us. We need to minister to others. This is all vital. And to reject all of that or to push it, Okay, such a long way down the list of priorities, that makes no sense. Okay, one's commitment to the church is a gauge of their commitment to Christ, just like the Sabbath was in the Old Testament. So this is something that we need to assess in our own lives and also be willing to lovingly and graciously confront in the lives of others. And the fourth thing that our rest is in Christ. okay for the Christian, we have rest in Christ. we have spiritual rest in that we've given up the endless pursuit of earning our own salvation. okay we will have eternal rest with him that is what awaits us in the kingdom to come and we have rest in him right now. okay Matthew 11 28 and 29 very famous verses says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest upon your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ gives us rest. But what is very interesting is that Matthew chapter 12 and verse 1, next verse, contains a time when Jesus was attacked by the Pharisees about the Sabbath. can remember the chapter divisions aren't inspired. Okay, so our rest in Jesus and the Sabbath are here linked. And that is because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. We rest in him and one day we will enjoy perfect rest with him for all eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for your word, and uh, I pray that uh, I've explained it uh, accurately and clearly uh, this night. And um, Lord, please, you know, help us to, to understand both the, the discontinuity and the continuity uh, when it comes uh, to the Sabbath, and help us uh, to to be receptive to, to the message. Uh, that we needed to hear tonight. Please keep us safe as we go our separate ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.